talking about? What am I talking about? What am I talking about? I'm talking about your gold on security, Hogarth! While you're snoozing in your wooded jammies back in Washington, we're wide awake and worried. Why? Because everyone wants what we have, Hogarth. Everyone. You think this metal man is fun, but who built it? The Russians? The Chinese? Martians? Canadians? I don't care! All I know is we didn't build it, and that's reason enough to assume the worst and blow it to kingdom come. Now, you are going to tell me about this thing, you are going to lead me to it, and we are going to destroy it before it destroys us! Welcome to The Rear View. A chance to take a glance back into film history as we as filmmakers drive forward into the future of cinema and television. Each reel we interview a filmmaker and discuss a film that influenced them or one they simply can't talk about enough, whether good or bad. If you're a loyal subscriber, I thank you for being one. And if this is your first look back with The Rear View, please subscribe, share, and rate this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Follow on Twitter at TRV Podcast and at Facebook.com slash The Rear View. My name is Matt Edwards, and in this reel... Joining me is television writer Amy, damn it. <laughs> Aniobi. Aniobi. <laughs> I almost had it. Uh, we're going to talk about director Brad Bird's 1999 animated film, The Iron Giant, based on the Ted Hughes story written in 1968. Amy, welcome to The Rear View. Please uh, share with us a brief synopsis of the film, and then we'll both plunge into this thing together. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. And it's all right. My last name trips up people all the time. <laughs> but can you confirm that I said it right? You did. You said it right, right before so we many went. times. Uh, Aniobi. Aniobi. See? It was me under yeah. pressure. Okay. Um, so I, I'm here to talk about the film Iron Giant, which I love. It was like a staple of my childhood. I've seen it so many times. Um, and it's a story about a nerdy kid who isn't re really well liked in his elementary school. His name's Hogarth Hughes. And um, basically one day in his scientific nerdiness, he wanders out into the wild and discovers a big metal man um, who seems to have crash landed on Earth, has a bump on his head and cannot remember how to really talk or function. And he befriends this metal man with the help of a friendly drifter who works with metal art. Um, the name of that character is Dean McCoppin. And it's um, he's voiced by Harry Connick Jr., which is pretty sexy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, Dean and Hogarth both befriend the Iron Giant and later discover that he is actually a man that has been made for war. Um, and when he gets angry or has to, or decides to protect Hogarth in a, a moment of um, real stress, all these missiles come out of him and he turns into guns and he turns into a tank and it's very scary. So the military now is trying to contact Hogarth and try and get the Iron Man to, so that he can be tested. Um, and Hogarth really makes it his mission to save his friend. And his friend ends up sacrificing himself, flying up into the sky and um, colliding with a a bullet, I think, or a, yeah, a, a giant bomb, missile. a big yeah. missile. Um, he collides with a missile um, in an attempt to save the town and his friend. Um, and the real question in the movie, like the polemic is just because you are designed for war, do you have to be a warrior or can you fight for peace? Um, are you going to be a villain, a bad guy, or are you going to be Superman? And basically the Iron Giant in the clutch moment of the film that mm -hmm. really steals your heart decides he's going to be Superman and he flies up and he saves them. But the movie ends on a very happy cliffhanger. It is sort of a bittersweet ending because you think he's dead, but it, I'm, I'm, I'm spoiling it. But it ends <laughs> on a happy cliffhanger yeah. because you realize that um, he has a homing device in his head that brings all his parts back together and rebuilds him at any time so it ends with you realizing that the iron giant is still alive great yeah i i, I saw this when it first came out and then i rewatched it for for this podcast and 
um, I was just so like, this is, it, it held up. It, it's so good. It's like, and, and having just recently watched like big hero six yeah. and, and, and I thought, man, this like big hero six is garbage. I mean, the I, animation yeah, is garbage, garbage compared to it's iron garbage. Giant. Yeah. Iron giant is timeless. It's yeah. so beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. So, so what is it about this film that was really important to you? Uh, you know, being, um, obviously as a kid, it was awesome for you, mm-hmm. but, uh, as a, as you move forward in your television writing career, like what? Yeah. Well, one of the things like, like well, I, I've been a writer my whole life. Like when I was a child, I used to write like, you know, everybody writes like, probably the angsty teen poetry about how kids like the opposite sex doesn't like, them we're the same size um and i feel like uh i when i was a kid was writing stories about how i always wanted to be in other worlds i wrote i was published at age four no big deal about <laughs> how i wanted to be a kangaroo <laughs> and like and, uh and i i just always wanted to be in other worlds and i was a tomboy i have two brothers so um i loved superhero flicks i loved kung fu action movies i loved all this stuff as a kid and i like idolized jackie chan and anything with a good fight mm. sequence um and when i first started stumbled upon Iron Giant um, it was just like it came out I saw a commercial for it and I was like mom and dad I want to see this movie and we went and saw it in theaters and I just remember um, thinking it was just like a typical action we're gonna see a hero do some cool stuff and um, he's gonna save the world and it's gonna be over and I found that it was the first time that I saw a movie and uh, well I will say when I was really young I saw Beauty and the Beast and I didn't understand that it was it wasn't real that beginning mm. sequence of Beauty and the Beast that looks like artwork mm-hmm. I thought there was a man who had been turned into a beast so the first four minutes of Beauty and the Beast I was like in tears <laughs> and then I realized like oh okay this is a cartoon I get it um, so by the time I saw Iron Giant I was clearly older I was like 11 or 12 and um, when I saw it, it was the first movie that I realized it was the intent of the writers to make you feel sad Mm. uh, and happy. So like I had seen movies in the past and like animated flicks that were always about being happy. Like even the little mermaid Ursula comes out and you're scared, but you are sort of like, you know, she's going to be fine. Whereas iron giant, you don't know until that last five seconds of the movie that he's fine. So it was the first movie that I saw where I was like, they made me laugh and then they made me cry Mm. and there's no way to escape those emotions. And it really kind of taught me that like, you can be funny and still have heart. You can have heart or you can have drama and still have humor. And I think that's something that I really try and remember in my writing now. Um, Everything I write for myself, I I don't want to spend too much time chasing a joke or, or, or chasing pathos. Like I think you can have a balance of both in whatever you write um, and making sure that whatever your emotions you're tapping into and making sure that you're making them as real as possible because that movie did that for me. Yeah, talk about that, chasing the joke because I think I think this this film does a really good job with, with the comedy of, of really understating it, not, I mean, um, and I'm, I want to bring up a specific moment when... Um, Hogarth asks Dean Mm -hmm. if the giant can stay at his place Mm -hmm. right at the junkyard yeah and I expect Dean to like come back with a funny remark or retort or anything but he just looks at Hogarth dumps his coffee and walks inside (laughs) and slams the door he doesn't say a word and I thought man that was so funny but so understated like you didn't have to write dialogue you just it was all in the reaction right which is what you want to do a lot of times with live actors too yeah but to have that reserved uh with the comedy in in animation um how important is that 
even in animation versus yeah. live action. I think it's so important because it's about trusting your actors or in this case, yeah, I mean, it's animated, but it's like trusting the scene to deliver work as well. Um, and I think sometimes um, when we're green or like when we're first working through a concept with a story, we think that all the funny or all it, it all has to come from dialogue. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I do, I always overwrite first. I think most people, their first draft, you overwrite. And then I really look for I pull out like things that anyone can say. Like, I hate it when a character is like, what or where? Or, how do I get there or whatever? It's like, how is that character going to say it? And if. I can't figure out a way for them to say it that I'm like, then that they needn't ask, you know, it's like if there isn't a unique way that only that character can deliver that question or commentary, then I tend to just take it out. And I'm like, how can I do it physically? How can I do it where it's something that we see? Um, and I think it's something that uh, it, it comes in second draft, third draft, fourth, when you start trying to figure out how to make things more visual as opposed to just auditorily pleasing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's important. And I think it's very cool. Like animated movies give you the ability to make anything happen on screen anything can explode and put itself back together anything can fly and it's not about like budgets you know you're either drawing it or you're not so you can draw it however you want <laughs> um and there's something that is so nice even in an animated movie like this that they let real moments lie like that moment that you're talking about with dean he can just spill out a coffee a human can do that you don't mm -hmm. need a cartoon to do that but this movie was so grounded that it allowed for things like that to happen that could happen in any like chevy chase movie or like bill murray film mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, grounded is definitely for an animated film to be grounded uh, because animation is like you said, it's where anything can happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this film does take liberties with anything can happen. Sure. Um, you've got a robot eating metal. I mean, I don't know how, <laughs> how that works in practical terms, but yeah. it's animation. So you're going with it. Um, but being grounded is is uh, that's really important. Can can you when, when you're you already kind of touched upon it when you're writing and you're going through drafts and stuff. But at, at what point do you realize, even if it's, even if it's a funny line, like, mm -hmm. like the moment could be funny, like the line would be funny, but if they just gave the reaction, do you, do you decide which one to go with? Like, do you, is there a rule that you kind of go, oh, I prefer just have a reaction or the line. Or I will almost always err towards a reaction instead of a line because uh, I just think you have to trust that your actors can act. And like, if the line is super, if I've written a particularly brilliant joke, <laughs> then of course I'm going to leave it in. But I think like you just have to trust that the people that you're giving these lines to are going to bring something to it as well. And the thing that's so awesome is you can write a line like I'll I'll write a script and then I always read it out loud and I make like my cuts of things like oh, this joke's not that great. And like um, this part is just like repetitive or whatever. I'll make my cuts and I'll hear it so many times in my head and I'll say it out loud and sometimes I'll have friends read it. But when you give it to someone who is just like funny and knows where to put stuff mm -hmm. like knows how to make certain lines pop it will always be elevated they will always bring something to it that you didn't hear and that you didn't recite in your own voice um and i think that's cool but i do think that like people watch television they don't listen to it on headphones so it's like you you need to give them a reason for their eyes to stay open <laughs> and that comes with having those funny reaction moments and looks i love like 
I mean, just like on the shows I've worked on, I, I worked uh, one of my first staff writing jobs was on the Michael J. Fox show. And Michael J. Fox is famous for the way he looks at people. He will just like someone else will deliver a line and it's all in his eyes. Mm -hmm. He'll just react with his eyes. And that's something that's beautiful. And you can't write that. It's like, you know, oh, he looks <laughs> It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. So right. it's just like you have to trust that they'll do it. It's like I think that's something that's really cool on this latest season of Silicon Valley is like we're working with the most the funniest guys, you know, um, they're so they're so hilarious and they come from like stand up and improv backgrounds and um, they can say a lot with their eyes and their bodies and just the way they move as opposed to just like words on a page. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting when you when you mentioned you don't necessarily write those moments, you know, Michael J. Fox gives a look or, or the, the, the actors react. I remember reading about I Love Lucy mm -hmm. and how in for for um, when the writers are writing I Love Lucy uh, episodes they would they would have code words for for the big reactions that she would give like spider face or <laughs> or um, something like all these different reactions yeah. so that so that she goes or, or or she would give a look or something but those were so big yeah. that i could see that's why they would write them in because they yeah. it's like they get to just she's putty you know and they can just say oh yeah. we, we want her to look like this but but i love how how as a writer that you that you have the faith in the rest of your creative team that the actors are going to nail this. Like, do you ever write, do you ever write a scene? Have you ever written a scene and, and thought, oh, I don't know how this is going to play out or, or, but you, tr but you, you said, we're going to leave it in and I trust it. All the time. Yeah. I think um, I've worked in the web a lot. I really started in the web and I wrote for a web series called Awkward Black Girl. And I created two web series of my own, one called uh, The Slutty Years and another one that I co-created with a friend of mine called Lisa and Amy are Black. And um, in all of these, it's like you write stuff and you're sort of like, I don't know how this is going to play. And I think that goes back to like the overwriting a little bit. The mm -hmm. first draft, I will write in those looks and I'll be like, Sometimes I'll be like, so-and-so reacts, which is the dumbest thing to write in a screenplay because that's all <laughs> acting is, is reacting. So it's sort of like, why am I saying so-and-so reacts? But it's just because I'm nervous that they won't get it. Or you write like parentheticals and you're like nervously or like quietly or whatever, because mm -hmm. I'm just like, what if they don't get it? But eventually when you start getting to work with people and if it's a returning cast and it's people you know and you've written you know a few episodes for them or something, you start to learn that they know what to do and you take that stuff out. And sometimes you're writing that stuff for the reader, to be honest. It's like, it's not always like, oh, get what I'm saying. Because sometimes there are execs reading your work, there are directors reading your work, there are sound guys reading your work, and they might not know, you mm -hmm. know? So it's like sometimes you do leave some of that overwriting of like what the actors are actually doing in for the reader sure. that they understand. Sure. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, I've heard of actors who like hate it when stuff like that is in a script, when right. it's like how they should play something. And it's like, why would you tell me I, uh, this is my <laughs> job? And it's sort of like, well, it's not for you. It's for the execs at ABC. You know, it's like <laughs> right, right. you're helping out some other people who aren't on set that day or aren't in the room who might not. You mean an actor guess. think it's all about them? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um so, so let's go back to the Iron Giant. Is there is there a is is there a because the, the like you mentioned in, in the open that the, the theme is and they say it in the film, uh, you are who you choose to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's that's yeah. the big line in the big film. Line. So you are you are who you choose to be. And if if you're writing something um, that that you want to have a theme with, mm -hmm. does how, how do you how do you do, do you find the story first and say, oh, I, I want this to be about 
you know, choosing who you want to be. Like you don't have to be the bad guy. You can be the good guy if you want. Mm-hmm. Or do you have a theme where there's just something inside you? You're like, ah, I really have something to say. Let mm-hmm. me find a cool story to to gear it around. It's happened both ways. Like I feel like um, there have been times where I've written something because there was like a moment that happened in my day and I was like, this is funny. And it's like, how do I build a story around this? And then I do think that the best stories do have a theme. So eventually, even as I'm like, how do I make this funny moment into a day or into a 30 page script? (laughs) It's like, I do eventually have to come back to like, but what is this about? Mm Because if it's not about something, then it's just moments happening. Um, And sometimes it's a little frustrating uh, to build your story that way. I think it might sometimes be even nicer if you know the theme before you start writing, Mm. but that's not always the way. Sometimes you just know the plot moments first and then you're sort of like, okay, how do I make this about something? Um, And then on the converse, there have been times where just like an idea comes to me like, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about like how hard dating is in LA and I'm like, I want to write something about like, um, basically there's this article written by a friend of mine, Josh Constein in a tech blog about how we've entered an era of big dating and how, uh, there's, it's hard to find love when you have so many options. Basically when you could have everything you want, you want nothing. Um, it's just like the problem with millennials. Uh, they're told they're, they can be great and thus they aren't doing anything. Um, so, and that to me, just that thematic ability or that, that uh, theme of like everything before you and thus nothing is before you. is something that I think is very universal. So I'm trying right now to figure out a, a, a comedy pilot about dating that is playing with that theme, especially as it relates to the world of LA where everything's just a little bit weirder because sure. it's the industry <laughs> right 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 and it won't just be a series of moments it's 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 about something yes i mean i'm trying to think of of something more a little more recent but i mean sex in the city was basically about dating yes. right and relationships exactly um and it had to inform every storyline yeah. you know it's like yeah. you could have moments where yes we're going to talk about miranda's job but in relation to her dating life, mm-hmm. it's like it's always going to inform those storylines because that was the thematic of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's a little different for me, exploring a story this way, because I do think more often than not, I go the other way, like funny moment. And now let's find a theme. But I think um, in terms of like series building, you mm-hmm. kind of want that theme first. You've also acted before as well, right? A little bit. Yeah. I would never consider myself an actor. Okay. I think I really respect actors and I think it's very hard uh, to do that. But uh, when I started writing for the web, I was like, let me just put myself gotcha. in things. I think there were a lot of writers who I respected, like Louis C.K. and Lena Dunham, who I was like, they're not actors first. They're writers first. Mm-hmm. But they put themselves in their work because they are the best programmed to say their own words. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was like, let me do that. So I, I have acted in a few things. And um, so you so you don't like have an acting background or to acting classes or anything like Mm-mm. that i take improv i love okay. improv i've taken classes at both ucb groundlings oh and ios and yeah. i'm on a couple of indie teams that i really love and I, talk about that yeah. as an importance for writers right because it's very important for writers yeah right? i do think like especially as a comedy writer um so much of being a comedy writer is your performance in the room um in drama you live or die on your draft like if you are a drama writer um, you just need to turn in a good draft. And and yes, it'd be great to have great stories. Like you can be a better drama writer than just the draft. Mm-hmm. But it really, I've, I've heard it said that it, it really matters about the draft. Whereas in comedy, a lot of um, your success is dependent on how you are in a room. 
Um, and I find that like, as much as I love dick jokes, I am a fairly reserved person. Um, it's just like being a child of immigrants, I guess. I'm just like very like, I'm a watcher. And um, so I remember I was an assistant on Happy Endings on the final season of Happy Endings, Rest in Peace Forever. Um, and I was, uh, my first day on the job, it's like, it, it was these comedy greats, like Brian Gallivan and Gil Ozeri and Jackie Clark, and they're like bouncing around the room, pitching ideas and stories. And that day I went home and signed up for an improv class. Mm. I was just like, oh shit, I am never going to be able to hang in this world if I don't learn to loosen up, mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't matter if you're a great writer, you need to be able to like play. And I think I, I needed to work on my play muscles. Um, so that sounds gross. Um, but at <laughs> any rate, I, so I started taking classes at iOS and when um, I moved to New York for the Michael J. Fox show and I started taking um, classes at UCB. And since I've come back, I've completed the UCB program and now I'm taking glasses, classes at Groundlings. And I think it, one, I think one, it helps you learn the vocabulary of the comedy room. Not only does it make you more comfortable in your skin and easier with making mistakes and easier and, and make it easier for you to pitch jokes that fail and move on because that's what improv is, is you're on stage and if people don't laugh, you got to keep going. Mm -hmm. So that's what being in the room is too. But it also... Um, helps you learn the vocabulary of the room. There are just certain things like, you know, rule of threes and like, this is the button to the scene. And like, um, oh, it's kind of like a pretty flower situation. It's like, there are all these terminologies that um, I didn't know until I started taking improv. And then suddenly I was like, oh, they're not speaking in code. They just all speak the same language. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned that language and it helped me too. That's great. Um, you brought up the button of a the button, finding the button of a scene. And uh, the early on in the Iron Giant, the Iron Giant, that's the film we're talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, early on, um, when we meet Hogarth for the first time, he comes into his mom's diner, and uh, he's got a new friend, a new animal in a box, mm -hmm. and it and it's a squirrel, and it escapes. And um, so the scene isn't necessarily about the squirrel right. escaping, but that that's like the the comedy thread throughout because you it, it escapes, and then. But that scene is really about learning who Hogarth is, his personality. We learn who Dean is. We learn mm -hmm. that the the fisherman lived and he's telling everybody about the this giant uh, Iron Man that he saw. Yeah. And his mom is is being is trying to maintain control. And um, all the while, all that in all that exposition is being thrown out. But there's this squirrel running around. Uh -huh. So can 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 you kind of deconstruct that scene a little and how you would write? Yeah. How you write something like that. Well, where... you know, it's one of those things I feel like it's just like the you have to get exposition out in the most fun way possible. And um, in grad school, we were always taught like, you know, you do it in in a fight or in love is how you get exposition out. It's mm. like either it's people being like, I've been mad at you ever since you quit your job. Well, I only quit my job because blah, 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 you know? And it's like, then you forgive people saying this happened because of this, because when we fight, we expose ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, or also when you're in love, and that means telling a loved one, you can't do this again. You can't come back in here into my life and shake things up. The last time you were here, my mom like cried and whatever. And it's like, oh, now we know you have your mother. Now we know this breakup has happened multiple times. And it's like, um, so it's easiest to get exposition out or it's most interesting I, I should say to get it's easiest to get it out just by people saying it but <laughs> it's yeah. more interesting to get it out in a fight or in love and um in that scene you have both you have Hogarth's mom who's so she loves him so much and she's like you brought in another pet you did this again why can't you hang out with your friends we learn he's a nerd he's a recluse he's a mama's boy he's always picking around stuff and we have people fighting oh I don't believe you about that fish tell us again
again, oh, a metal man? What are you talking about? And this guy's defending himself. So you're getting out exposition in the two most interesting ways. And then you just get the joke of the squirrel, the button of the scene being the squirrel jumping mm-hmm. out of the pants. Um, so you get a lot of information out in a scene that like just the lines, probably kind of boring. Mm-hmm. But because they're happening with these emotions, the two of the strongest emotions we can feel as people, love and anger, um, you get a lot more, um, You you'll your audience is more likely to pay attention to them because they're happening at these two pools of emotion. Mm-hmm. When you're writing something and you you're finished with it, they turn it in and then it goes and they produce it and it's up on the screen or on, on, on whatever. How, how happy or sad are you sometimes at the choices that the, that the director and the actors and then the post-production make? And I, I I just want to tie this to iron giant a little bit where I I noticed the lack of music cues during, during funny moments Uh where they would just like the, you know, him pouring the coffee out or the reveal of the government agent's car being chewed off. Mm -hmm. He, He goes back to his car and he realizes Oh, my car's just there's a big giant bite in my car right. and the camera just kind of pulls out to reveal that but there's no sound cue there's no music it's yeah. just funny mm-hmm. um and i thought that you know obviously brad bird's there from the from the top to the bottom but and he you know he was writing it as well help, helping to write it so but as a writer how hard is it for you to like go oh like they they made it better or no they didn't quite execute yeah. what i wanted well you know i've been really lucky i think to work with very talented and strong people and like even on the michael j fox show i had the same director for both my episodes um who became a really good friend of mine his name's annie fleming and he's great and it's just like i felt that anything that i brought to the table was (laughs) for an improv term yes anded it was like (laughs) it was supported and elevated and like i was a staff writer but i was a staff writer with a ton of ideas like i just like (laughs) i just always had like a way i saw things going and so i would be on set and i'd be like what about this what about this what and uh our director uh, he he was just like yeah and i like that and he had worked in comedy before he understood the comedy pacing and all that stuff. So he was able to take the ideas that I had or my bosses had or the room had that we all had as a collective and elevate it. And then all of that gets changed in post. And I will say like network television is a different beast than like um, features. And for instance, like network TV loves its music cues. There Mm -hmm. are music cues in every scene. (laughs) So like if it were up to me, there'd be fewer music cues in everything. But like (laughs) that's fine. It's not, you know, whatever, not my choice. (laughs) Um, So uh, I do think that like, I love the dryness of letting a joke sit. And I think that's something that even Iron Giant, another uh, movie I loved growing up, um, uh, The Royal Tenenbaums, Mm. um, which is filled with music, but is also a film where the jokes just sit. It's just like, it's a very quiet film. And it's like a line will be said, it's not delivered in a funny way and it just sits there. Mm -hmm. And I think Iron Giant does that too. And I think when you've got someone like Brad Bird at the helm, he is consistently going to follow the same same stylistic style throughout. Same stylistic style? Same <laughs> style throughout? <laughs> what? <laughs> so it's like it's going to consistently, you're going to see those moments again and again where it's just a joke with no music cue and it's just sitting. And yeah. it's like, observe this funny and let's move on, you know? Um, and those are always strong choices. Those are always good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he he's consistently done that. I mean, from The Incredibles, which is another great, yeah. great animated film. Uh, and then even in the last um, Mission Impossible. Yeah. Oh, and I also wanted to just mention that uh, about Brad Bird in general, 
Um, one thing that made me fall back in love with Iron Giant, as we were talking about before, um, was that when I was in school, when I was at Stanford, he came and spoke to, uh, there, there's like an entertainment conference every year um, at Stanford University, and he came and spoke at this entertainment conference, and he talked about how um, The Iron Giant was basically the film he made before going to Pixar. And when it was made, Pixar was like still this nation thing, and it kind of got abandoned. And it was released without much fanfare. It wasn't really marketed. I was probably one of like 10 kids who saw the commercial and was like, <laughs> I want to see it. Um, and and they realized belatedly after getting a lot of love from the critics that it was this movie that had a lot to say. And it like it has religious overtones and it's like and it has Gen the voice of Jennifer Aniston. And it's like <laughs> it's just like a lot. Vin Diesel. It's like it's, there's a lot of little things in there that make it very special. And it totally got overlooked. So they made a deal with I believe it's the Disney Channel or maybe it was I think it was the Disney Channel or, or Nickelodeon. Um, where they did a full week where they screened the Iron Giant 24-7 for five days. Wow. Um, and that was really like when I fell back in love with the movie. I had seen it in theaters and I loved it. And then there's one day I just turned on the TV and it was on. And my brothers and I, we took out, this is back when we had VCRs, and we took out videotapes <laughs> and recorded it off the TV. And even after recording it, we watched it over and over again for a whole week. And my parents were like, change, change the damn channel. <laughs> and we were like, we're in Coolsville, population us. You know, it's like we were just <laughs> quoting it left and right. And it's because like, I think the Pixar people or Brad Bird or whoever his team is was sort of like, this is a special movie and people need to see it. Um, so it did yeah, sort of get so this. so rare. Yeah, that doesn't happen where it's like, oops, we messed up. Yeah. We didn't market this well. And it's really good. Yeah. Please watch it. Um, yeah, and I thought that was that was really cool. And I think that's something that like doesn't really happen anymore. Mm -mm. I think there are a lot more, unfortunately, forgettable movies and forgettable TV shows. And I think... Um, when people realize like a show can go away or a movie can go away and they they're like wait let's not forget this let's bring mm -hmm. it back <laughs> it's like let's look at this again because it's actually really special maybe, I think that's really cool maybe that's the same mentality they did with uh, a Christmas story you mm -hmm. know a Christmas story because that would that would get played every year yeah and I'd never seen that film until it was un until uh, you know maybe ten or twelve years ago. Mm -hmm. I, it was never part of my childhood a Christmas yeah. story or anything, but yeah, because TNT would run it twenty four seven. Uh, at first, you're like, oh, this is an interesting movie. And then it just keeps going and it just keeps going. And then you start laughing. And then every year I'm just like, yeah, Christmas story. Christmas story. Uh, so maybe that, that was the lamp. same mentality. <laughs> the leg lamp, right? Fragile. <laughs> Must be Italian. Must be Italian. <laughs> um, okay, awesome. Well, let's see. I want to check my notes and, and see if there's anything else. Uh, it, well, it, tell me, is there anything else about Iron Giant that you think uh, writers today should like? look at this film that we haven't touched upon yeah um i would say like even that uh, how you were talking about how um the scene where the cars chomp through and it's just quiet or dean pours out the coffee and it's just quiet i think iron giant is an interesting movie in that it allows those moments to sit but it also has moments of speed where the jokes come from speed and and uh repetition like when uh the detective keeps on calling hogarth by different nicknames and he's like slugger oh. champ uh, that's a great like, moment that's a great yeah, scene yeah and it's so funny and so fast and um and obviously it's animated so they can do that he's popping out from different doorways and like what you doing slugger what you doing champ where you going buddy what you doing pal <laughs> and it's just like pal i think i said <laughs> um and it's just like those moments i think you can do both of those things just because you're writing something i think lots of times there's a uh, belief that comedy comes from speed and it does in in many mm -hmm. ways it does but i think there's it also comes from awkwardness it also comes from stillness and silence and i think like when you can 
deliver both of those in a script, um, it's very rewarding for a viewer or a reader to know that you know how to do both and it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah, that's great. And Iron Giant definitely uh, nails that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's even even back to the squirrel scene. There's even a moment where the squirrel is running through the thing and everybody's freaking out in the diner that the squirrel just passed them by or something. And I thought for a second that there's a guy sitting next to a, or across the table from a girl, maybe his girlfriend or mm-hmm. something. And he his reaction is to just spray everything in his mouth directly in her face. <laughs> but yeah. it happens so quickly. And then it looks like he looks at the camera as if to say, that was just an ex- the squirrel was just an excuse for me to spray to do this <laughs> to do that yeah and I thought oh was that was that it I have to go back and rewatch it but um but yeah, yeah. those rep those those fast paced funny moments mm-hmm. um mixed in with these moments that that just sit yeah is, uh, is is really good well thanks Amy this is great I have one final question I awesome. hope you're prepared for this uh oh <laughs> if our civilization ended today yes by some random act of God or or, or anything else, and extraterrestrials discovered our remains a thousand years from now, what's the one film or television series you want Ooh. them to find? Oh my gosh. Well, I think the TV series might be the one you already mentioned. I Love Lucy. Oh. I think it's, it's I, I watched it my whole childhood, like all the time, and it was on late at night, and it's so funny and campy, um, but also is about like a modern American family, if you will. It's like, it's a, it's, it's a Mexican man and a white lady. You know, I'm like, come on, that's awesome. And now people are like, you know, now diversity is back on TV. And I'm like, it was there. But like, so at any rate, I'm Cuban. Like, he was Cuban, though. Oh, he was yeah, Cuban. Yeah. Oh, my God, I'm a racist. Um, so, yes, he's a Cuban man. And sure, he was a terrible person. But as an actor, <laughs> right, it's like right. that, that was a great show. Um, if it was a movie, that's that's a hard one. Uh Maybe Mr. Smith goes to Washington mm, oh, uh, yeah. because it's about the American political system. It's about the inherent goodness of people. It's about the little guy making his way up in the world. Um, and it is about uh, giving a speech, but it's not boring. It's not boring. Yeah. That movie's great. Yeah. That's great. They're both black and white. I think I like the classics. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Awesome. I wonder if Iron Giant would play well if you turned the black and white on. Oh, definitely. On it would, right? Oh, man. It's such the a stories- good movie. Everyone should see Iron Giant. Yes. (laughs) It's so good. Okay. Amy Ananobi. (sighs) Aniobi. That's it. I'm out. That was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I tried. I tried. All right. Well, if you guys, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to get to talk about my favorite movie with you. Yes. And if you all out there enjoyed the podcast, please give the show a rating on iTunes. Those five stars really do help. And you can contact us at facebook.com slash the rear view and at TRV podcast on Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Edwards. And if you're driving forward on your film, always be sure to check the rear view. Time to duck and cover. The bombs are coming down. A radiation shower will pour throughout your town. Hands over your head. Keep low to the ground. Time to duck and cover. The bombs are coming down. Duck and cover, duck and cover, get under the desk with your sister and your brother. Duck and cover, duck and cover, that goes double for your dad and your mother. So hands over your head, keep low to the ground, cause all the kids that don't will cease to be around.